Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Several, uh, several years ago, I got a phone call from a frantic elderly church member. Not in the room, so don't worry. Nobody, uh, you know, uh, asked me if I could come over to his house. Just, uh, just, I need you here, I need you here now. And, and you could just tell, you know, you get those phone calls and you can tell by the tone of somebody's voice that it's, that it's urgent. You know, this is not one of these things that could wait. And so I rushed over there and again, you get these situations where you don't fully know what you're walking into and this was one of these situations. I didn't have a clue what I was about to, what I was about to encounter. And the, the wife met me at the door. So again, it's what, you know, what, what in the world is about to unfold here? And I walked in the kitchen there, and sitting there at the kitchen table was the gentleman who had called, and you could tell by looking at him that he was, there was something that had visibly uh, was, was working deep in his soul. Uh, some of y'all may remember back when there was a Nigerian prince that was always trying to give money away to us. And uh, I mean, there was always that, he was always emailing us, ready to, you know, ready to give you the money. You know, all you had to do was send him a little money just to guarantee that he could send you a lot of money. And this particular Nigerian prince had gotten a hold of this gentleman who was sitting at the table. Well, you see, the guy that called me had a, I guess you might say an unhealthy fascination with those emails. Uh, you know, not a, if you get those emails today, you, you hit delete. If they even get into your inbox, you know, most of the time they get caught in spam now. And so, you know, but if they ever get in your inbox, you know, you know, you just delete. And it's not necessarily Nigerian prints anymore. It's something else. But you know that, uh, that if the IRS sends you an email, it's probably best not to click on any links. Okay. Um, unfortunately, this gentleman had a, a fascination with these emails and he got caught up in one because he was convinced that this email was different. It was not like all the rest of them, and so he felt like that this was, a, this was the real deal. We sat at the table and he showed me all the back and forth emails that had unfolded, and it was a lot. Uh, he had gotten into this scam so deep, he had already sent money. Um, there had already been a, a, a money a amount of money that had been, uh, been sent, and. And he wasn't sure what to do to start getting out of it. And what scared him so much is that the, the hostility of the email changed where the person that he was interacting with began to say, I know your address, I know where you live, I'm coming to your house to, to fix this. And of course, this gentleman was terrified. Um, unfortunately, in this moment, he had been deceived. And this deception was not cheap. Um, uh, you may not realize this, the FBI has a website dedicated to helping citizens avoid some, some of these scams that, take, that, that go on. And I was looking through the, the, the website, through all the list of things, and, and I was shocked at just the amount of effort that goes into cheating people. I learned about adoption uh, scams. Again, how in the world could somebody come up with an idea of using adoption as a way to, to scam people? And what was happening is that people were posing as legitimate adoption agencies, and they were using their, uh, that, that, uh, that fraud as a way to, to steal from, from prospective adoptive families. And so they would ask for a certain amount of money, and by paying a certain amount of money, that would guarantee them first access to a child. They were posing as, uh, as, uh, as birth mothers, looking to, to give their children up for adoption and looking for funds to help pay for the birth. And it's amazing just the, the way people will, 
take advantage of such an emotionally charged situation to, to steal from people. Senior adults are particularly targeted for various kinds of fraudulent schemes. The FBI said on this site that seniors are defrauded by more than $3 billion annually. Um, and again, I mean, there's the amount of junk mail that, that, uh, that we get that, that's asking for donations, and how in the world do you know whether these things are legitimate or not? There's romance scams. So if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, I can tell you that the Internet is probably the wrong place to look. And what's happening is, is criminals are adopting fake online identities on social media and dating sites to manipulate and steal from the victim. And so money's exchanging before, uh, before they ever even uh, meet face-to-face. Again, capitalizing on loneliness and just the desire to have companionship. Um, the amount of effort that criminals put into being a criminal is absolutely crazy. And I can't help but think of how helpful it would be if these people would put all of that creativity into making the world a better place. I mean, the amount of effort that it takes to steal from people, if, if they would just put that effort forward into good work, into noble work, into, into charity, that, that uh, I mean, the world would be such a better place. But in fact, it's, it's not. These people spend their time and their creative efforts trying to, trying to steal from people. And I will say you this, tell you this, that if you've got, if you've got folks who are um, senior adults in your family, uh, make sure that they're not getting taken advantage of. You, you, you owe it to, uh, to make sure that they're not being taken advantage of in, in various ways because um, particularly there's a, there's a gap where a, one generation knows how to use the Internet and, and knows that the IRS will never, uh, will never call you or send you an email. And then there's the, the group that has a little bit of knowledge about it and isn't sure. It's that isn't sure part that, uh, that, that is ripe for, for being taken advantage of. So make sure you're, you're looking out for those who, are, uh, who maybe are vulnerable for these, these sort of scams. In Joshua chapter 9, we encounter another deception. And I will say that the deception we run into in Joshua chapter 9, it rivals anything that a fake Nigerian prince could concoct. Um, we're introduced to a group of people known as the Gibeonites. And you encounter these people throughout the Old Testament. This is the first place we really meet them here in Joshua chapter 9. We find out that they are deceptive. But they're also excellent actors, as most thieves are. Most thieves have to be really good at acting. Uh, and they're very effective at duping the Israelites into showing kindness to them and in, in making a treaty with them instead of um, giving them the judgment that all the other Canaanites are going to receive. And this deception is costly, but it is beneficial for us as we look at it to understand the nature of deception. One author suggests that the book of Joshua is a spiritual warfare handbook. Though it takes place in very real physical warfare, there's real battles that are fought, the reality is that the tactics that are used by Israel's enemies are often some of the same tactics that Satan uses in his spiritual assault of God's people today. And so this deception that we encounter in Joshua chapter 9 is just more insight into the way that the enemy seeks to deceive us. And just as Joshua and the Israelites needed discernment to know how to handle this encounter, we need to make sure that we have spirit-led discernment in our day as well. If you've got your Bible, we're in Joshua chapter 9 today. We'll be considering the whole chapter, but I'll just read the first uh, 15 or so verses. If you're able, please stand with me as I read these words from Joshua chapter 9, beginning there in verse 1. 
As soon as all the kings who were betrayed or who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they heard of this. So they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. And so the men took some of their provisions but did not... Ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for discernment to be able to know when we're being taken advantage of or when truth is being denied around us. I pray, Father, that we would not make the same mistakes of Joshua and the Israelites, but that we would learn from their error and seek to walk in truth and faithfulness today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Well, word traveled very fast. I wish good news traveled like bad news, but it doesn't seem to work that way. Jericho and AI have been destroyed, and it made it on all the 24-hour news stations. You can imagine how CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC would cover such a tragedy in the nation of Canaan as these colonizer Israelites came in to uh, take over the land. Israel was here, judgment was at hand, no one in Canaan was safe. And if the decimation of these city-states did anything, it helped to unite some of the other Canaanite tribes. Verse 2 talks about this great coalition that had formed. These, these city-states that didn't get along with one another, well, they, they decided it was time to get along with each other now. And so they formed a, a coalition of, of, a, of a large army that was going to be able to try to stand up against the Israelites. But there was one group that chose to go a different route. And to be fair, the Gibeonites, they at least knew what they were up against. They decided that a different approach was at hand because they knew that they didn't really stand a chance in, in battle. Verse 4 actually gives them some credit. It says, on their part, they acted with cunning. And so the writer of Joshua says, you know what? As, as deception goes, this was pretty solid. It's a good idea as, as deception goes, but this is where this ruse begins. This is where that email from the Nigerian prince hit Joshua's inbox, and he decided to pay a little too close attention to what the prince had to say. 
The Gibeonites come up with a simple lie. They say, we are not Canaanites. We are from a distant country. We have heard what has happened, and we want to be friends. Because don't you want to be friends with somebody? If God's on their side, I want to be on their side. You know, if, if they're able to win these military victories, I want to be their best friend. I want to make sure that they are fighting for me and not against me. Let's make a treaty. Let's make a covenant with each other. What's interesting is, is if they hadn't gone through the effort of trying to deceive, I believe this tribe could have very much been like Rahab. If they hadn't done what, what they did, if they had approached Israel waving the white flag, saying, we know that your God is the true God, and we come alongside of you being worshipers of the true God, we will serve your God, we want to come alongside of you in that capacity, I think they would have been welcomed. Much like I think of Jonah when Jonah went to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh was, was doomed for disaster if they didn't change, but they changed. They, they repented to Jonah's preaching. And so if the Gibeonites had just come with a white flag saying that, that we surrender to your God, we will be worshipers of your God, we will follow his law, we will follow his precepts, we are worshipers of Yahweh. If that had been the case, I think it's a different story. Instead, they come under false pretenses, which those false pretenses just reveal their heart. They weren't there because of their faith. They weren't there because they wanted to worship God. They were there because they wanted to save their own skin. And to do so, they come up with a master deception. I guess an ancient version of being catfished today. If you know what that means, then you know exactly what we're talking about here. We look at this story, though, we do need to be mindful of the deception in our walk with God as we walk through this world. There is, a role, there is a great deception that's at work and we need to pay very close attention to it because deception is the enemy's primary tactic against God's people. Deception is how he works against us. For Joshua, an inferior city-state is eager to deceive the people of God. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew that their time was through. Everyone knew what they were facing if they lived in Canaan. So who can blame the Gibeonites for pulling this little stunt? Their ruse is effective. They've dressed the part. They've got props. I mean, they, they've gone all out here. I, they even speak the part. Pay attention to what happens here. When they interact with Joshua, they only make mention of Israel's conquest on the other side of the Jordan River. They never mention Ai or Jericho. Now, everybody in Canaan knows about Ai and Jericho. Everybody's aware of what has happened, but these Gibeonites recognize that if we're going to tell them we're from a faraway land, then we can't know about what just happened. We can't be aware of what's transpired in Ai and Jericho, so we're going to leave that part out. We've just heard what you did in Egypt, and we've heard what happened on the other side of the Jordan. They even speak the part. They know that if they can get Israel to secure a treaty, a covenant, that Israel will not break it. Because treaties, covenants were binding in that day, uh, perhaps even more so than they are today. Treaties were tied to honor, and if you didn't honor somebody, if you, were, if you damaged someone's honor, that was a terrible offense and a terrible crime. And so if they could just secure that treaty, they'd know they'd be okay. You know, history reveals how often the devil uses deception as a weapon. He uses deception as a, as a way of, of fighting against God's people. You go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The, the very first temptation is birthed out of what? It's deception. What does the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say? 
Did God really say what he said he said? Is that really what he said? And again, he's sowing that seed of deception in the mind and in the heart of of Adam and Eve. And that's been the strategy he's been using ever since. Even when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Satan comes to Jesus and what does he do? He manipulates scripture, he uses deception, even against the one who wrote the scripture. He tries to convince Jesus that the scripture doesn't say what he says, it's what it says it says. He wasn't effective, but he tried to use deception even against the very Son of God. And of course, it's no different for us. John warned in his second letter, 2 John verse 7, he said, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John warns that deceivers are going out into the world. There are people who are actively working to deceive the people of God. You need to be on high alert. And what's incredible is that it's not just in words. Paul goes over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. He says, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. This is still deception, even if it's with appearances and not words. You know, you you think about so many things in the world today, things that are good, things that are even funny, that are actually elaborate satanic deceptions. I even think about, for a minute, your picture of the devil. Again, if I, if I say, imagine, what do you think about the devil? Again, we believe in a real devil. It's not something, it's not just, a, it's not just an abstract philosophical concept of evil. There's a, there's a real devil. Think about when I say that. What do you picture in your mind? Maybe you think about a fellow with red skin. Maybe you think about somebody with horns, a pointed tail, a pitchfork. Almost a almost a clownish-looking figure. Some people may be tempted to laugh at his looks. In fact, in our world, it's not uncommon. We just had Halloween not too long ago. There's people who will dress up like the devil for Halloween. But here's the thing. The Bible says Satan can disguise himself as something beautiful, even as something that is an angel of light. We so much want Satan and the demons to be monsters but they may actually appear to us as something, as be, something beautiful. We portray the enemy as if he is something in our nightmares, but he could just as easily show up in our lives as something in our fantasies. Satan has been deceiving from the very beginning. How do we fight against that? Listening to the word of God is our chief weapon against deception. The most telling part of this encounter with the Gibeonites is that we are told specifically in verse 14 something that we need to pay attention to. If you're an underliner, you need to underline this. We're told in verse 14 that the men of Israel took their provisions, but what? They did not seek the Lord's counsel. Here's this group of Gibeonites. They look rough. They're, they're ragged. They've been through the desert. You know, I don't know if their horse had names or not, but they've, they've been through it. And here he is. And look, our bread is dry and crumbly. Look how we're dressed. Look at our appearance. And 
Joshua and the Israelites, you know, we're all screaming like, don't trust them. Don't believe them. Don't listen to them. And nobody ever says, you think we should talk to the Lord about this? This has significant consequences. Because Israel failed to ask God what he thinks about these strangers. They were suckered into building a treaty with these people and were required to protect them. Why would Israel do this? Was it because the story was so good? I mean, these guys were good actors. I mean, the bread was dry and stale after all. Clearly, these guys were legit. But the truth is, is that Israel simply relied on their own intellect and discernment. And guess what? When they only relied on their own, it failed. There's a warning here for us. We should be careful because we are just as capable of this sort of failure. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 gives us wisdom about this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. You got to wish that somebody was standing there next to Joshua saying, hey, we need to ask some more questions. We need, to, we need to probe this a little bit more. And somebody should have been saying, hey, Joshua, before we sign on that dotted line, can we just have a little spiritual powwow over here and ask God what we should do? But none of that happens. All of this unfolds so quickly that, that they never take time to listen to what God has to say. Should we really trust these guys? Should we really go all in with this scraggly bunch of fellows from the wilderness? If they had simply asked God might have given them a radically different answer. This instance teaches us that we better watch ourselves because we can easily be duped as well if we don't consider the Lord in our dealings with the world around us. We should remember that deceptions from the enemy can be convincing. Man, these guys looked the part. They were dressed the part. I mean, they, their story was solid. It could, deception can be compelling. I mean, think about what these guys had. They had a great story. We've heard what you did in Egypt. We've heard what happened to the kings over the, on the other side of the Jordan. We've heard. We want to be your friends. It is a compelling story. Deception can be convicting even. These guys were in bad shape from their travels. Who wouldn't feel sorry for them? Look at their clothes and their shoes. Look how, look how moldy and crusty their bread is. I mean, these guys were in bad shape. It felt bad for them. But deception, even if it is all those things, it is still dangerous. That's why John gives us very wise counsel in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's plenty of opportunity for failure. There's plenty of opportunity for deception. It's around every corner. All sorts of things that we are dealing with today. We know there's deception, but we're even watching as entire cultures are being deceived in our day and time. And again, so many of these lies that we deal with today are addressed specifically and, 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 and explicitly in the Word of God. You can't even get out of the first three chapters of Genesis and find that our civilization has gone off the absolute rails in so many ways. Uh, you can't, the, the entire sexual gender revolution is revealed for the deception it is by literally spending 10 minutes reading the opening pages of the Bible. You don't have to get to the end. 10 minutes in the first three chapters and you could say, oh wow, 
God's already spoke to all of this, and we've chosen to ignore him. Even more than that, God has given us the, the Holy Spirit to help us learn to discern the difference between that which is true and that which is, de which is deception. God is here. God is with us. He is readily accessible to us. He's not hiding. It's not location-based. It's not like you've got to be at church to make a decision. He's ready and, and eager to help us avoid being deceived. Because we understand that a deception comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. It may look harmless. It may look innocent. It may even look beneficial. But it's deception nonetheless. One of the great deceptions of our day is doing untold damage even to the witness of the church. If you go into parts of Africa and other developing nations, you will find that the sinister deception known as the prosperity gospel has taken hold. And it is wrecking the gospel witness because the prosperity gospel looks beneficial. If you believe this, you'll be rich. Well, if you live in a poor third world country, being rich is, a, is an incredible promise. If you believe this, you'll be healthy. Again, if you're living in a developing nation where you don't even have access to clean water on a regular basis, the promise of health? Man, what a, what a promise. If you'll do this, if you'll be faithful, you'll be rich and you'll be healthy. And it may sound helpful and it may sound beneficial, but it sure isn't biblical. The Bible warns us that we will have struggles and trials in this life. This idea of prosperity in the gospel is nothing more than a deception. And we understand today that deception is constantly waging a war on what we believe about truth. I was thinking about this the other day. We can send a, a telescope into space. I was watching, looking at just some of the images that this James Webb Space Telescope has sent back, and man, they are stunning. Uh, the, the pictures of the pillars of creation where, where you see the, this, this nebula that's, that's bigger than anything that we can fathom. I mean, we get a picture on the internet and it fits on our phone or on a, on a tablet or something. We say, oh, look at that cute picture and this thing is like bigger than, than anything that we can even fathom. And we look at these pictures and scientists tell us that these things are millions and millions and millions of miles away and it's a distance that I can't even comprehend. And we look at that and say, oh my goodness. And as Christians, we look at that and say, man, ain't God good? We don't look at those images and say, those aren't real. We don't look at those images and, I mean, I guess some people do and say, you know, that's something somebody did in Photoshop. I mean, we look at that, we see this, they tell us it's coming from a, from a telescope that's out in outer space so it's not affected by our lighting and we get these images, they say they go back in time even because the way the, 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 the light traveling works, it's like, oh, absolutely, we believe it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. But just consider the fact. We will believe what they tell us about a telescope that is taking pictures of something that is a distance away that I don't know that we'll ever even be able to travel that distance. And we believe it. But we'll deny the very reality that is standing right in front of us. And this is the world in which we live. It's happening to our culture. It's even happening to our churches. And the consequences of this is that we will be stuck with the consequences of our deception 
for a very long time. Israel entered into this treaty with the Gibeonites. They were forced to protect them, to honor that treaty. That's a good deal if you're a Gibeonite. Hey, I'm not getting judged with the rest of the Canaanites. I've got a cush living here with Israel. I might have to serve in the temple, but it's good for me, bad for everybody else. They were granted acceptance into the nation, but for God's people, this wasn't such a great deal. They had to violate the command that God had already given them. And again, you've got to appreciate Israel's integrity about this. There were probably some of, his, of Joshua's commanders that said, you know what, go ahead and get rid of these guys. They came, they lied to us, they deceived us. Go ahead and get rid of them. But Israel honored their commitment, even if it was entered into them into, into falsely. And this problem would not go away. You go over to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We learn some more things about the Gibeonites. We understand that in 2 Samuel chapter 21, in the time of the kings, they're still being protected by their covenant with Joshua. There's a story that, that we don't actually get in the Bible. We just hear about what happened. We learn that at some point in King Saul's reign, he killed some of the Gibeonites in his zeal for Israel. Saul, of course, very impetuous. And he said it was payback time for their deception. I'm going to punish these Gibeonites for the way they deceived us. But the problem is by what Saul did, he actually violated Joshua's promise to them. When David becomes king, he allowed the Gibeonites to have vengeance for Israel's breaking of the promise. This deception that happened in Joshua had a stinging and continued influence on the nation. There's no doubt that deception that occurs in our culture today has similar long-term effects. We don't have to get into the news, but some of the things that we hear happening with children today, children being allowed to make decisions that children shouldn't be allowed to make, having long-term consequences. It's not something that goes away. It's not something you can change. It's not something you can undo. Having long-term consequences. And we live in a generation that has come to accept so many lies about the reality of life. They're dece deceived about the very nature of truth. It isn't new. But what is new is the prevalence of deception and the ability for it to spread like wildfire through a people. You know, I was talking Wednesday night that our generation is the first generation that could see the gospel actually reach the ends of the earth through the means of communication that we have. Uh, you literally are living in a time where every human being on the face of the planet could hear the gospel. That's where we live today. But in the same way that good news of the gospel can spread like wildfire if we'll let it, deception and lies can spread just as quick and sometimes more effective as well. Again, we see that spreading. I think, back to, I think back to an interaction that Pontius Pilate had with Jesus during his trial. I, I, I've often wondered what Pilate must have thought as he was standing in the presence of Jesus. He was standing there face to face with the Son of God, crown of thorns upon his head, beaten, bloodied to a pulp, but Governor Pilate is literally standing looking in the eye of the Son of God. Pilate interacts with Jesus in John chapter 18. Pilate said to him, so you are a king, he said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And the question Pilate asks is haunting. He looks at the very 
presence of Jesus. And he says, what is truth? What is truth? We today find ourselves asking the same question. What is truth? Is what's on Facebook, is that truth? I don't know. Depends on who you ask. Is what gets posted on Twitter or, 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 or that video that gets shared, is that true? I don't know. Is it? Depends on which side of the political spectrum you're on. Is he guilty or innocent? Well, I don't know. Which, which judge is involved in, the, in making the judgment? Who appointed the judge? Do we believe that judge or do we not? Are his decisions colored by politics? Are they colored by a worldview? Are they colored by something else? We don't know anymore. That's, that's what's going on. And as God's people, we serve the Son of God who looks at us and he says what? I am the way. Yeah, you know. Truth is in Jesus. Truth is in the gospel. Truth is that we're sinners desperately in need of salvation and that salvation is found in Christ alone. As with all these things pertaining to spiritual warfare, the message for each of us is to be alert. It's to be alert. And that means we should pray for discernment. It means that we should keep our eyes open means that we should walk in this world on high alert, knowing that this strategy is very much a part of how the enemy wants to work against us. If, if we're walking through a minefield, the very least we can do is pay attention and not be caught off guard when we approach a mine, because we know it's there. It's right there somewhere. I want to pay attention. I enjoy camping and things like that, and Going up in the Smokies, sometimes uh, you'll go backpacking and you'll get to a campground and there'll be a sign up at the campground that says closed due to bear activity. It's an interesting sign to read when you're in the middle of a national park and you're not allowed to arm yourself. There's bear activity. What does that mean for me who wants to go camping, who's got a backpack full of tasty snacks that's, uh, that, you know, for a bear? Well, does that mean that I turn tail and run? For some of you, it might. For me, it means I pay attention. I'm watching I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings because I know that there's a potential for risk. There's a potential for harm. But I also know if I'm equipped with some knowledge, I know how to, I know how to protect myself. I know how to take care of the situation. We need to pay attention to the world around us. We need to know that the attack is coming. We need to know that deception is very much a part of the enemy's tactics. And we also need to understand that for our kids and grandkids, ladies and gentlemen, there is a battle that is being raged for their hearts and minds right now. There is a fight that is being fought for their minds, and the enemy does not want them to know the truth of the gospel. The enemy wants them to question the very nature of what is true and what is not. The enemy wants, to, wants them to doubt even nature itself if it functions to distract them from the truth of the gospel. I love seeing these kids up here today. Are we working not just at church, but also at home, making sure that they know what the truth is and what it isn't? Maybe you're here, and maybe there's some places you've been deceived. Maybe in your life you've had some, some bad beliefs 
that have crept in, that have, that have colored the way that you see the world. You've allowed your thinking to be polluted by deception. Maybe just being aware of it. It's time to repent from sin and bad thinking and refocus on who the Lord is and what he wants to teach us. The good news is that God's not finished with Joshua and the Israelites at the end of this story. We understand that they enter into this covenant relationship. We understand that the Gibeonites are punished for their deception, but we get into chapter 10 and we find that God is still fighting, God is still working, God is still using his people for his good and for his glory. And so even in a world today where we know there's deception around every corner, God is still eager to see his people accomplish the purposes that he has for them in this lost and dying world. And God still wants us to be men and women who are committed to the gospel because it is the gospel that is the only hope that this world has. So it's our job, just like Joshua's was to take care of the nation of Canaan. It's our job to take care of the nations around us, but not in the same way that Joshua does because our hope is found in the gospel and we are the men and women who are called to share it. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you, Father, for, for truth. I thank you for truth of Scripture that has no errors within. Father, I would ask that you would guard our hearts against deception and lies. We pray, Father, that even as we look at, a, at what's real right in front of us, that we would not question how you have revealed it to us, Father. We pray that as we pick up your word, we would understand that your word is true, that it is not does not contain errors, that it is exactly what you want us to know. And Father, I pray that we would continue to work hard to fight for the hearts and minds of our children. God, that, that we would recognize the assault that they are under and that we would seek, Father, to point the light of the gospel into each of their hearts and minds and that they would become boys and girls and young people who are committed to truth in their schools, their ball teams, and all the things that they go and do. Father, we know that we live in a world where deception is running rampant. But may we, may we, may we be committed to that which is true. May we be, be committed to Jesus. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.